You're listening to a podcast from Washington Post Live, bringing the Post's newsroom to life on stage. Baton Rouge Police Chief Murphy Paul joins Washington Post Live to discuss the national rise in violent crime, how his department has responded, and his recent meeting with the Biden administration. Let's listen. Hello and welcome to Washington Post Live. I'm Tom Jackman, a criminal justice reporter with the Washington Post. It's my pleasure today to welcome Baton Rouge Police Chief Murphy Paul in our continuing conversations about the national rise in violent crimes, protecting public safety, and the role of policing. Thank you for joining us, Chief Paul. Thank you for having me today, sir. All right, well, let's go first to crime stats. Uh, murders are up in Baton Rouge. Uh, I think you've had 76 so far this year. Um, that's up a lot over last year, which was up a lot. But this is not unusual. We're seeing this around the country, right? And so, yes, sir. Uh, but robbery, burglary, larceny, they're all down. Um, why are we shooting each other more and robbing each other less? What, what is causing the violence against people in, in your considered opinion? I think what we're experiencing here in Baton Rouge is uh, the same that we're seeing in other parts of the country. I, I don't think we can uh, contribute to one uh, specific uh, issue incident. I think it's a combination of things. You know, when we look at uh, over a year ago when uh, the pandemic uh, uh, presented change in, in all of our communities and the economic hardship, um, the, the stress, the anxiety, the interruption of systems, uh, when we shut down cities, when we don't have uh, courts, uh, probation and parole, um, the abuser uh, is trapped in uh, the house uh, with the abused, so she don't have that outlet. Uh, someone who's suffering from the monster called addiction. I believe all of those things uh, created anxiety, uh, and, and what it did is it, it, it exacerbated uh, what we call uh, disinvested communities. You know, crime is a socioeconomic issue. And we know that uh, in those areas, uh, all of those systems that I just talked about, you know, from schools, our playgrounds, our kids were not playing on playgrounds. It's almost like we had an entire summer uh, with, with the pandemic uh, compared to uh, some of the crime that we saw during the, the summer months uh, over the years. So I believe those uh, that interruption in systems uh, have uh, 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 played a role in, in what we're experiencing. Um, I believe if you look at, you know, as law enforcement, we look at trends, right? We like to look at trends. The data was different uh, during the pandemic. Uh, we saw a closer relationship between uh, uh, suspects uh, and their victims. Uh, we saw rises in domestic violence. Uh, we saw more females uh, being victimized. So we believe there are a lot of contributing factors that played into that. Uh, also an interruption in the drug trade. Well, what do you take away from what can you guys do as police? Now, I realize there are a lot of social issues you just touched on that, you know, are mainly out of your control. But when you say, talk about the things you just talked about, domestic violence, people, uh, you know, drugs, gangs, what can you guys do? What can the police do to uh, attack that? And while I'm on that, you were just here in D.C. Uh, and you met with President Biden uh, to talk about these issues. What can the feds do for local police uh, that could really make an impact on people? So I had the follow-up question and I've got the feds. Sorry, I chucked two at you at once. Sure, one of the things we've been doing, paying attention to the data. Um, when you look at uh, some of the trends and its changes uh, in that data, we've been making those adjustments. 
Um, there also have been some challenges, as you well know, uh, across America uh, with recruiting efforts in law enforcement. So trying to make sure that uh, we fill those vacancies at the same time so that we can do the proactive things uh, that we do to help prevent crime. Uh, so we've been doing that. We've been uh, uh, directing resources in what we call micro areas. We believe when you look at the data that crime happens in small uh, places, not just hot spots, but micro areas. And we've been directing uh, resources in those areas. Uh, we are seeing uh, some successes in that area. Uh, one of the big things that we're really doing is engaging the community. Look, we cannot solve crimes uh, without the community's help. And when we look at a lot of these homicides, one of the things that we realize is that in many cases, the person who uh, committed the crime uh, communicated his or her intentions prior to that horrific event, but they don't pick up the phone and call law enforcement. We would like mm -hmm. them to give us a call and uh, to stop that act from happening. So what we've been doing, we've been partnering uh, with some of our organizations uh, through the mayor's office and some of the programs that uh, she has in place uh, so that uh, the community can feel comfortable uh, with uh, preventing crime from happening. Because we have too many, too many situations where when we investigate it, we know that it was communicated to a loved one, or someone in that person's in a circle, a friend, and they had an opportunity uh, to do something to stop that act. So intervention is so important. Uh, so engaging in community, uh, empowering the community to get involved, uh, to help prevent uh, these type of crimes from happening is, is, is one thing. What we've been doing with our federal partners is we've been partnering with our Crime Gun Intelligence Center, where we have a dedicated uh, a task force of individuals, uh, along with the district attorney's office, that are following all gunshot incidents and using the intelligence and then working out with the uh, state and federal uh, prosecutors to determine uh, the best course of action uh, to prosecute. Uh, we're seeing some success in those categories as well uh, with ATF uh, and, and, and identifying that, that small group of bad actors that's committing violence. Look, just here in Baton Rouge and other cities, there's a small group of individuals that are responsible for the violent crime that we're experiencing. And it's important for us to identify who those individuals are. So the feds are helping us do that uh, with our partnership with the FBI as well as DEA, where they're focusing those, those efforts uh, with our local police officers and building federal cases uh, to disrupt and dismantle those criminal organizations. All right. Well, you talked about community trust. And so this will be a good time to raise this letter that was sent to the Justice Department last week by a number of social justice groups in Baton Rouge, led by the Promise of Justice Initiative. They sent a very detailed plea to the Attorney General asking for a pattern and practice investigation of the alleged constitutional violations in East Baton Rouge Parish. They talk about a history of seemingly racist policing, which dates to long before you became chief in 2018. Uh, but they also discuss recent events, such as overly aggressive treatment of people of color, a disproportionate use of police dogs on people of color, excessive force on children. Uh, some, poll, some chiefs welcome these federal investigations, others don't. So what's your take on this call for a federal investigation of your department? Well, well, first of all, let me say, I, I support uh, any help from the federal government uh, to, to, to help us, but we've been doing that. If you look at most of the data uh, that's presented uh, in that report, uh, and you look at the changes that we have made as an organization, I believe that we are 
uh, in a direction. Uh, we've been getting uh, technical assistance and training through our National Public Safety Partnership. If you look at many of the laws that not only have been passed here in the city of Baton Rouge, but uh, in many communities all across America, uh, since the George Floyd incident, we've already implemented uh, those changes uh, prior to that incident happening. So I believe that we are moving forward. When you look at uh, the data, uh, the data is showing that the community is working side by side with us. Uh, we're engaging them and helping us uh, not only change policy, create policy, but also engaging them in uh, a public expectations on how we should police. So I think when you really look at some of the work that we've done over the past couple of years, um, we see some success. Uh, I do understand that we haven't uh, met uh, everybody's uh, expectations, but I would love to sit down and, 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 and meet with those organizations. I know I asked my, uh, my lieutenant to, uh, to arrange those meetings so I can show them all the progress that has been done. You know, we still have work to go, uh, a lot of work to do, but we have um, 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 made so many changes, particularly uh, the changes we made when you, you speak of uh, the, the use of canines. Um, those numbers are, are down uh, significantly since we made uh, those changes. Uh, and, and the data shows that uh, the change in policy has had a significant impact on um, uh, some of the issues that were presented uh, in their letter. Well, so does that mean you're opposed to the feds coming in? Oh, no, I'm never I'm never opposed to to any help from the federal government. The question is, uh, do I think we're moving in the right direction? I think if that was to happen and they'll sit down and see what we've done and in the past couple of years, you'll see that many of the changes that they desire uh, that they're asking for are meeting uh, expectations. And we've been very uh, uh, consistent. Uh, we've been very deliberate uh, in our efforts uh, to change behavior. And we are seeing success in those categories. And I would be willing to sit down and, and have those conversations with those organizations. Uh, they, there was no meeting between me and them uh, prior to that letter going off. But I think if they uh, would engage and, um, and sit down and, and see all the great work that we're doing here in the Baton Rouge Police Department, they will see progress. Do you feel like your officers are being held accountable when they do things wrong? That seems to be a major complaint here is that officers uh, aren't being held accountable. I know that in some instances you've tried to hold officers accountable and have gotten serious pushback from the union. Uh, but one social justice leader said in the paper the other day that your department has turned a blind eye to systemic failure and weaponized the police department against our community. So are you holding your officers accountable? Yeah, absolutely. I, I totally disagree uh, with, with, with that statement. If you look at since we've been here, we have been holding uh, officers accountable. And we also have been supporting uh, those officers who made a mistake, but we believe can still effectively uh, do their job. You know, uh, not only have we held those uh, officers accountable, we've arrested officers. You know, we have uh, a current investigation that's going on that is worked by the Baton Rouge Police Department where we've arrested uh, several of our narcotics agents uh, who don't deserve to wear that badge. That investigation is being conducted by Baton Rouge police officers, and we're gonna continue hold any others accountable. But I really don't believe that those officers that we arrested uh, and those that have been terminated as well, several has been, have been terminated uh, as a result of our investigation. Um, but I still don't believe that they, re they uh, represent all the men and women in, in the Baton Rouge Police Department. You know, we have 
great public servants here. Uh, we've consistently uh, shown that um, uh, in order to change behavior, that discipline uh, has to be implemented. And we've done that. I mean, we've had several high profile cases recently uh, where we've terminated uh, an officer and the civil service board has overturned uh, uh, my decision. Uh, we had another uh, uh, incident recently, but we're gonna continue to move forward um, to, to change that culture. And let me be clear, it's not all the men and women in, in the Baton Rouge Police Department. It's a very few, and those few officers we have held account held them accountable. Um, but they don't represent the good men and women of this police department who go out there and serve this community every day. Well, so where do you think what motivates these this complaint? This is a pretty significant uh, complaint that was sent to the Justice Department. What's behind this? Or have these folks just not connected with you? Or what's your thinking on? where this complaint comes from? Sir, I received no phone call uh, from anyone. I have uh, public meetings uh, every quarter with our chief advisory council where we go over policy. In fact, in those meetings, we've had uh, conversations uh, in our chief advisory council meetings that actually lead to recommendations uh, that go to my um, a policy review uh, committee, and we actually change policy. And I can go over so many policies that have been changed in this police department had started with community conversations and we were able to make those policy changes without compromising uh, officer safety. I would be more than willing uh, to sit down uh, with those organizations and go over everything that we've done uh, in the past few years. But to say that we have not held uh, police officers accountable is just not the case. Uh, a simple research uh, on how many officers uh, that don't deserve to wear that badge who we've terminated or who've quit while under investigation over the past uh, a couple of years will show uh, that we uh, take our policies uh, very seriously uh, here in the police department. And uh, there has been a lot of accountability. So I'm not sure um, uh, specifically where uh, they're getting their data from, but I will be more than happy to share uh, factual data with those organizations. Uh, when you talk about rewriting policies, one of the policies that was rewritten after Alton Sterling's death was to uh, emphasize de-escalation and reducing use of force. Uh, Chokeholds were banned, firing into vehicles unless there was an imminent threat was banned. Have you seen an impact from that? What's been the effect of changing that policy? Yeah, sure. Our, our procedure justice training uh, has been implemented where we uh, um, focus on uh, those four uh, tenets of voice, uh, fairness, uh, uh, transparency. Uh, in, in, in the uh, uh, police encounters, um, we have uh, probably our um, uh, body camera program. When you look at our body camera program, it exceeds uh, Department of Justice recommendations. So we've implemented a lot of changes uh, uh, in, in the past few, few years. Uh, the duty to intervene, not just in training, uh, but a mandatory reporting uh, requirement. Um, when you see another officer um, violating policy, that duty to intervene when excessive force is being used and a reporting uh, requirement uh, as well. Uh, we're starting to see that, um, um, uh, those, those changes. Uh, and, and one of the things I, I, uh, I use to gauge that is the community. And I can tell you when uh, I'm out in the community and I have conversations uh, with uh, the residents of this community, uh, they see the change. Uh, I hear from them all the time that uh, they like the direction uh, that the Baton Rouge Police Department is going. 
so uh, this disconnect uh, in uh, some of those uh, uh, that's highlighted in some of the letters, um, I, I think that uh, I can give them a whole uh, list of uh, people in the Baton Rouge community who love the Baton Rouge Police Department. I hear it every day. I get emails. Uh, I get calls uh, from a residents. Uh, some of our police officers can't even pay for a meal. You hear uh, them going to uh, restaurants and, and say they get up and they, their bill is paid for. Now, look, let me be clear. I do understand that there are some within the community uh, who uh, uh, may not have a favorable opinion of, of the men and women who wear this uniform, but I can tell you that is not the masses. Uh, we have uh, surveys to show that. Uh, we have community events. You know, the last uh, couple of years before COVID, we participated in more than 300 community events uh, here in the city of Baton Rouge. And in those community events, when we're engaging the public, and it's based on a positive stimulus, and we're not responding to a call for service, we have conversations. Uh, we actually get um, um, uh, information from them about crime. And I can tell you, you know, we got some great things. Uh, I do understand that there's some uh, who may not necessarily see it, who don't live in this community, but I would be more than happy to do ride-alongs with them, uh, come uh, come to these community events, uh, join us in our uh, quarterly uh, chief advisory council where we have representation uh, from all parts of the community, from the faith-based community, elected officials, as well as our two higher education institutions, LSU Southern University and Baton Rouge Community College. And you will hear the interaction, you will hear uh, this collective approach where we are not only engaging uh, the community, we're actively listening and we're making those changes uh, that need to be made uh, to break down those barriers in community police relations. So here's a, a problem that police chiefs around the country have been having. How are you dealing with concerns around morale of officers and retention of officers? Yeah, you know, that has been a challenge. Um, uh, I believe Perf put out a report, more than 40% increase in 2020 in resignations in law enforcement agencies and uh, more than 16% uh, increase in, uh, in um, uh, retirements, or early retirements. I think what we're experiencing is, you know, the, the social media has made the world so small, right? So it doesn't matter where something happens. It's, if it's in Minnesota, if it's in some other uh, city, it makes its way to my front door and the front door of every chief of police in the United States and in every community. And what that does is it agitates scars. Uh, I believe if you look at what happened here in 2016 and where we are today in 2021, uh, you know, some of the uh, individuals and in some of the groups who are protesting against us, some who were marching uh, for reform are now standing side by side with us at press conferences are standing side by side when I do press conferences and I ask the community uh, for help to identify those bad actors who are committing crime here. So we have come a long way. That collective healing started. You know, we were the recipients of a, a grant called Collective Healing uh, through the International Association of Chiefs of Police. And we partnered with local uh, organizations and our higher education institutions. And we begin to have those uh, conversations, those uh, uncomfortable conversation about policing here in the city of Baton Rouge. And we have come a long way. I believe that's why uh, when you see what happened in other communities where there was civil unrest, we didn't have that here in the city of Baton Rouge. Were there uh, 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 citizens who were upset? Absolutely. Were there concerns? Yes. But you know what? We work with them uh, so they can exercise their rights uh, to march. But we did it in a peaceful way. 
and we continue uh, to work with those individuals. But there have been no uh, civil unrest here, and we're going to continue to pray that it doesn't happen and that we continue uh, to build down those, those barriers. But we've had a, a police academy class every year. Uh, and let me say this, I am thankful for uh, the president uh, and, and uh, the comprehensive strategy that he has put together uh, to reduce uh, uh, violence uh, in the country. In particular, you know, uh, uh, giving us flexibility in how to use those dollars because recruiting and retention is so important. You know, we've dedicated uh, full-time police officers in our peer-to-peer um, -peer so that we can create an environment where our police officers feel safe to know that they need a timeout. That I understand that it's a very stressful uh, environment that we're working in right now. And, and we want to get them the help that they need because we want to mentally, uh, physically, and spiritually healthy so that they can go out there and serve. And we've been doing that here in the Baton Rouge Police Department. But the flexibility uh, that, the, uh, uh, that has been given to us through the president uh, has really allowed us to uh, be more creative in, in how we uh, recruit. Uh, we're actually uh, meeting with some, some local organizers to help us do that as well. Uh, we've been fortunate to have an academy class. Uh, our uh, turnover ratio was about 6.6 .6, uh, last year, 6.8. And right now we are looking at about a 6.8 to 7% uh, turnover ratio this year. So we have been fortunate here in the city of Baton Rouge to have academies. They may not be as large as we would like them, but we've been consistently uh, hiring police officers. Speaking of COVID, uh, we saw an interesting thing that uh, you guys are getting a lot of 911 calls from people wanting to get COVID tests or vaccine. A lot of 911 calls, possibly stressing your ability to respond to other calls. What, what's going on uh, with people calling 911 about COVID? Well, I, you know, I think the numbers are, are what they are. And, and I think, you know, I talked earlier about uh, the fear, the anxiety that COVID has presented uh, in, in this community. You know, I lost my father uh, to COVID last year. So, so I understand, um, and, and I don't think I've spoken with anyone who hasn't uh, lost a, a loved one, a friend, or someone uh, to COVID. Uh, and, and we know that there's a lot of fear. And, and when someone calls 911, that, that, that's fear. That's why education and awareness is so important. And uh, I applaud uh, our governor uh, and our mayor who've been very proactive uh, since last year, getting in front of a lot of the misinformation that's being uh, pushed out there uh, about COVID. Um, look, we lost an officer uh, yesterday. I just put out a, a, a one of our lieutenants. He just retired, just retired. And uh, now his family and, and, and our, uh, our Baton Rouge police family are now um, um, Going to be working with the family for his services. Uh, didn't even get an opportunity to enjoy his retirement. Look, this COVID is real. That's why we need people to get vaccinated. Uh, we need uh, everybody just to really listen uh, to the experts and, and what they're saying. Uh, we do not need to go back to where we were last year uh, with this virus. And that's why getting vaccinated is so important. Have you considered, my condolences, by the way, about your officer and your father, have you considered requiring your department to get vaccinated, everybody? You know, we, we talked about that. Um, we actually talked about it yesterday when, um, when we were 
um, having a conversation um, about um, my conversation with with um, uh, our lieutenant's son. And you know, when you hear a grieving son who you know his father was everything to him, and you start thinking about those on the job who have not been vaccinated, uh, my prayer and hope is that they will take notice to that and, and that they wouldn't have to hear uh, the chief mandate that, that they will see that it is the right thing to do. This is the second officer uh, we lost. We lost one of our sergeants uh, to COVID um, from an on-the-job exposure, exposure, I'm sorry, and um, just, just the pain and uh, to go through that process to see uh, one of our heroes die and to go through that again, um, it's emotional. Well, that is indeed. I'm really sorry to hear all of that. And unfortunately, that's all the time we have today. Thank you, Chief Paul, very much for speaking with me. We really appreciate it. Uh, no, thank, thank you. you. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Sorry, I didn't thank mean you to for having you there. No, sure. thank you for having me and God bless you. Thank you. And thank you, audience of the Washington Post, for joining us today. You can always head to Washington Post Live, WashingtonPostLive.com, to register and find more information about upcoming programs. I'm Tom Jackman. Thanks for watching Washington Post Live. Thanks for listening. To hear more interviews from this series and other Washington Post Live programs, visit us at WashingtonPostLive.com.